Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. Uh, good week this week, Derek? Not bad, not bad. Fair yeah. to Midland. Yeah, good, 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 good. It's been pretty busy and pretty tired these days. <laughs> I think it's just the fall weather is starting to to run you down. Well, and... things are starting to finally, over the last week or so, is starting to finally feel like fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the With Hurricane Irma, what? Two, three weeks ago, it had pushed that high system through and kept Canada super warm for... It was... Yeah. And now we're finally getting frost, like, you know, little touches of frost and... Yeah, a couple of weeks ago we had the uh, heat warnings and now in the mornings you get out there and it's chilly and in the yeah. evenings you get out there and it's a bit chilly. It's hoodie weather almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. No, I'm just tootling along, doing what I need to do and all my camping gear is still out and my canoes are still out and between uh doing a couple of end of season trips fall trips and sun taking all our our old camping gear our old uh the gear we started with the pro big double propane oh, stoves okay, yeah, yeah. and big huge tent mm-hmm. stuff that we started with way back in the day yeah um he's taking that stuff to uh, music festivals now Oh yes, he went <laughs> Down to music. In, How yeah, did his went, music uh, festival go? To Ohio to a music festival. They had a blast, an absolute blast. Uh, yeah, apparently people down a few tents down from them, their their stove blew. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, so they came over and they were. Our stove became a communal stove, sort of, <laughs> so to speak. But you know what I told them? That's what it's all about. You know. Yeah. You know, you help people it's out. It's community. It is, and I mean that's you know, it, 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 it's good karma. Um, but no, you know what? The tents held up and the weather was pretty decent and all the gear held up. When we were on our last interior trip, we, we took a couple of, uh, luxury items, a couple of chairs, right? Which usually, if it's just one or two portages, I'll take a chair. Not a big deal. Uh, if it's longer, yeah, the chairs say staying at home cause I'm not portaging that all the way through. Well, one of the chairs broke and I thought I'd threw the proper one into the garbage can. Apparently I didn't <laughs> because Mackenzie texts me from down in the States going, yeah, you might want to grab that one out of the garbage. You threw the wrong one out. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's too funny. So yeah, now the broken chair made it all the way down to the, to Ohio and all the way back. And <laughs> now it's in our garbage can. Ah, what are you going to do? It happens, right? But uh, no, you know what? Yeah, starting to, well, I got a couple more trips left. I'm looking at maybe a couple trips right in through into November, maybe. Like yeah. a couple weekenders, yeah. If the weather holds on long enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple weekenders too. I think mine, my last one is going to be the first weekend in December. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, but yeah, but that's kind of cheating though. Well, it is. Because it's, it's, it's not be, a paddling it's... trip. No, I'm bringing the canoe. Oh, you're bringing the, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I'll give you that. But it'll be It'll sort strapped of... on top of the RV. Yeah. It'll be base camping. <laughs> base camping with a canoe, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll let you have that one. I'll let you have that one. Yeah, right now, the last one I've actually got planned is uh, Halloween weekend. The weekend just before Halloween. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, if the weather holds out, I'm going to be doing some paddling in uh, in November. And hey, if it really holds out, I might do some paddling in December as there well. There you go. You know, so we'll see what happens. So all the gear is still out right now. Um, I'm not really making any plans to put it away as of yet. Because mm-hmm. there's still lots of time left in the year. Well, speaking of gear, I uh, I came across something recently. And you know how, like, it's it's fall, it's getting cold. And, you know, with uh, with a lot of clothing nowadays, like they say, you wear, never wear cottons, always wear wools or or merino wools or or fleeces because you want and to keep layers you want, and yeah layers you want to keep the, you want to layer up to keep warm right yep. and uh anyways marmot has come out with a new type of uh insulating whatever for their jackets and and i think it was it uh, midsummer early summer we talked about uh the development of technologies and clothing yeah. and yep. stuff like that right anyway so marmot has now uh, come out with something called featherless yes so it's uh, it's the equivalent of a seven hundred down fill, but it's a uh, it's a uh, thin it's a thin, synthetic thin, thin Yeah, it's a sy- synthetic insulation, 
And uh, so what they're saying is that it's their jackets are the equivalent of a 700, 700 downfill. But these, you can get them wet, you can get dunked, or you can get rained on or whatever. And uh, it still keeps you warm. Unlike down, unlike down, which it's soaked, yeah, you're, yeah. you're pooched. So it's 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 really neat. It uh, I haven't I've only seen it from Marmot. I haven't seen anybody review these yet, but uh, on the Marmot site, they, they a couple people have talked about them and talked about fit and finish and stuff like that. But it's it's, uh, it's interesting. It's one of those things you we're always looking for something to keep you warm in the fall and then in the in the shoulder seasons, right? Yeah, I, I looked at them on the site and they look pretty good, but. Three hundred fifty dollars for one jacket. The hoodie, a hoodie is two hundred dollars US. Yeah. Two hundred dollars US for well, they're pricey, for a hoodie. But yeah, it's one of those things. Is, but I remember it's going to do what you need it to do. Exactly. Right. And if exactly. it's going to last, then you don't mind paying that money. Exactly. Precisely. So it, it's super compact. It's super light. It, it's uh, only about twelve ounces. The full the full on jacket. I don't know what the, what the weight of the hoodie is. But uh, it's uh, marmot. I like marmot stuff. I have got a couple. I've had a couple tents. I still have a tent that's marmot, and uh, so it's they're they're a quality uh, gear maker. Mm-hmm. So you now they've come out and developed this marmot. So it's a three M thin slit layer, and then this uh, this featherless fill. Yeah, I'm sure it'll it'll take off because as we were said before, you know the the new technology that comes out and the advancements of all this stuff. And yeah. I mean, before it was all the stuffings and crap like that. And then it went into the, the down, everybody's getting the down stuff was seen to be the big thing. And mm-hmm. now then there's a the mixture next, of down and yeah. synthetic. And now it's, it seems to be, uh, this may is the next step maybe. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, I think you'll see more of this sort of thing. I expect Especially you're going to see the sleeping bags dry. Oh, the sleeping bags. Yeah. That'd be, be this it. kind of stuff in a sleeping bag. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Nice compact. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one I've got right now is pretty compact, yeah. but, uh, um, yeah, I think, I think it'll definitely be something that you'll be seeing in the future. That's for sure. Um, I was looking at now, Derek and I used to be on the Algonquin backcountry recreationalists, uh, talking about Algonquin park and how to keep it nice and pristine for everybody yeah. to use. Preser- and... Preserve the backcountry is right. one, of, one of our mottos, right? And one of the things we dealt with, and this is just recently, I've been doing some research and stuff, and uh, this has come up a couple times, but one of the things we dealt with was leave no trace. Uh, we were asked to be part of the leave no trace, and we did. We joined up the whole thing, and we were trying to, we were we were coming up with um, plans and putting out the information. You know, when you're going backcountry yeah. in Algonquin Park, here's the leave no trace information. We put a little pamphlet, stuff like that, saying, you know, try your best to, to follow these guidelines to leave the park better than you found or at least as you found it. Yes. Um, you know, something like uh, th- there, there are seven uh, principles right now. Plan ahead, stay on durable surfaces like trails and campsites, dispose of waste properly, leave what you find, minimize campfire impacts, respect wildlife, be considerate of other visitors. Those are their seven leave no trace principles. There is a push for an eighth principle. It's called the don't post it movement is pushing for this eighth principle. Basically what they are trying to say is stop sharing your adventures on social media before we love wild spaces to death. And and there's a there's a there's a cause there's a reason it it's a, a very reasoned argument for this like for me I, I kind of see two sides and I well oh, I can I can fully see both sides yeah, of this argument it's 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 really tough to kind of pick a, choose a side like with this here eighth principle it, it does make sense and the risk to the backcountry with people going in for their Instagram shots and their selfies and stuff like that. There's, there's too many inconsiderate people that are ending up in the backcountry just for that photo opportunity. And they're trampling on riparian areas and trampling undergrowth. And, and they're just not really cognizant of the backcountry. Normally it's backcountry users are using the backcountry. And now you see a lot more people going onto these uh, access trails and stuff like that. And then they're trampling everything to death. And it's, it's people who are unaware of the, you know, the leave no trace movement. They're all they're doing is getting in there for that next Instagram shot type thing. 
Yeah. I'll put a little caveat on this discussion is these groups are mostly hikers because not everybody can jump in a canoe or kayak or whatever and get back. Not everybody exactly. has that. But everybody has a, a set of feet to go walking exactly. and Exactly. Some place where you and, park at an access trailhead yeah. and uh, go in on whatever, you know, a one to eight kilometer little loop or something like to that. To get it's, that little picture that they yeah, wanted. And, uh, you see a lot of areas back. like here in Canada, it's like, you know, Gonquin Park Highway 60 quarter, the Hamilton Waterfall area. There's, you know, stuff like that. There's those typical, you go to any small town and there's some place to park. There's some conservation area where you can get in there and do a hike. Mm-hmm. But some of these more spectacular places and some of the ones that come to mind are like out in British Columbia or, or you know, in Seattle, Tacoma areas. And it, it, there's a lot of areas where you can get to and not a lot of people are aware of it until Instagram starts blasting out into everybody's uh, feeds. Case in point from my own personal experience this summer, I mean, part of it has to do with the 150th birthday thing, but Johnson Canyon... Moraine Lake, um, and Lake Louise in the Rockies around yeah. Banff. Now you said at one place you couldn't even find parking, right? Johnson Canyon. Yeah. Johnson Canyon. Well, we, the, 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 it was a good kilometer up both sides of the, the road up both sides. Like there's the parking lot and then there's the road outside the parking lot, a yep. kilometer each way. If we wanted to park, huh. we would have had to walk. Yeah. Um, Moraine Lake, we, we couldn't even get into overflow parking. We oh, were, wow. t- when you're turned away at 10 o'clock in the morning from overflow parking. Yeah. But like I say, I don't know how much of that has, has to do with the 150th this year, but the guy says it, it's, it's like that every year now. Hmm. So. The populations are increasing, but the populations haven't increased that much in the last like yeah. three to five years. So it, it's got to be the social media effect. There is one spot on Moraine Lake and it's this big rock that everybody sits on and somebody's taking a picture from behind. So they're in the picture and all of Moraine Lake and the mountains, the, the 10 peaks are in front of them. You see so many pictures, that exact yeah. same picture everybody on gets Facebook, the same on Instagram, on Twitter. Yeah. Everybody's grabbing the exact same spot. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were smart, Parks would set up a little booth. Five dollars for the next person that wants a picture. <laughs> you sit there, we take the picture with yeah. your camera, and away you go. <laughs> They'd make a killing. I had to set. Up, I had to go back, set up a booth, and just say, "No, I'm with Parks Canada." <laughs> Shysters are us. Dewey, Dickham, and How. Um, but uh, yeah, and and. There's many spots that, that I've seen myself that people are getting that same picture over and over. And you start going through, I love, I love Instagram. I love Facebook, but going through all the pictures on Instagram, you're thinking, I just saw that picture like five times by five different people from five different countries, but the exact same place. Exactly. You know, and yeah, and this is exactly what they're saying is there's so much of this going on. People are seeing this and they're saying, oh man. I'm going over to that country or to that area in a month or whatever. I got to make sure I go there yeah. and I'm going to take that picture with me instead of Joe Blow from wherever. That's going to be me in that picture. <laughs> and that's what's happening. Um, but then you have to look at the other side of the coin. And the argument is, is uh, you, you don't want to protect it for the elitists, for just for the certain people that get out there. You, I, it's I, people have a right to go and, and check out these places. I really hate that word elitist <laughs> simply because it's, it's not like they're trying to keep it to themselves. They're not. Absolutely. They're just trying to preserve and the to back me, country. that is, that would be more elitist. Mm-hmm. They're trying to keep it to themselves. It's, it's like a members only golf club. Yeah, exactly. Right. To me, that's yeah. elitist. These people want it shut down. To protect. To protect. From the being trampled. area. And to me, that's not being an elitist. Yes. If anything, it's being a, a conservationist or, um, uh, there's another word I can't even think of it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that's an environmentalist. Yes. Right. You're, you're trying to protect that area. Yeah. To keep it. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to protect it and keep it for you and only you. Exactly. 
you're protecting right. and and there's a there's a prime example for so every fall fall colors algonquin park is a beautiful place to go oh, everybody yes. wants to go and look at the colors and, and they do and there's all the bus tours from up coming up from toronto and stuff so there's uh one of the locations it's uh their hardwood lookout trail the hardwood lookout trail so it gets so busy that it's become dangerous. There's mm-hmm. too many people and buses parking on the sides of the road to, and it's just well, it's the hardwoods, right? It's, they're, yeah. they're the best colors, exactly. And but the problem that Algonquin Park is having to do, deal with is it's getting overused, overloved, and it's just there's just too many people, and and their primary reason is safety. There are just too many people yeah. for it to be safe. So what they're doing is they close down this hiking trail on weekends only. If you want to check out the colors on the, the hardwood loop there, you want, you have to go during the week. Right. And that's ideally when there's, there's the crowds aren't there. You're, you're not like walking over top of people to, to get into the trailhead, right? Yeah. And I mean, you get enough people coming from other countries to see the colors that they're going to be up there during the week. Yeah. But all the people basically from Ontario and stuff that are coming to see it, they're going up on the weekends because they're working during the week. They're not on vacation, right? So yeah, I mean, there's still people seeing it, but it's just not the crowds and all the buses. And, you know, um, we were joking just just to, to say how many people are there. I do a Thanksgiving canoe trip every year. Because it's my birthday weekend, the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I do a nice solo trip for four or five days, whatever. And without fail for the past, well, he's 20. So yeah, so like past 19 years, I don't know how many photo albums I am in, especially (laughs) with Asian cultures, because I have the plaid jacket. I have the canoe. Yeah. You know, I'm coming out and everybody looks like there's Canadiana coming right at us. It's a voyeur. And it's nonstop (laughs) photos, just cameras going off in my face. And and I've I've had people ask, can we get a picture of you with your canoe? And they're asking about my trip and all that sort of stuff. And... Yeah, I'm I'm like famous in Japan. <laughs> I mean, it's a going joke, but there are so many people there. Mm-hmm. You know, what should be like a quick little 15-minute throw everything in my truck and go turns into an hour and a half, yeah. two hours because there's so many people wanting to see all all that plus the colors and, and everything. It, it's, yeah, way too many people. Um, and yeah, they, and there's buses, bus loads of them. So you're, you know, you're dodging buses on the, on the highway and all the cars are doing, you know, if it's, if it's 80 through there, they're doing like 50, 60 because mm-hmm. they want a nice slow drive and they're hoping to see a moose or a bear. Yeah. And the parks and the communities up there are, they've been struggling over the last five years because it's really exploded for people going in and getting into these backcountry areas in the fall for fall colors. And the, the communities up there are trying to figure out how to deal with it because there's just so many people that people are finding tourists in their backyards. Yeah. But again, it, it, it leads back to what we're talking about, the Leave No Trace movement, mm-hmm. is they're seeing these pictures. And they want to go check And they're saying, oh man, you guys went there. Next fall, I'm there. Yeah. And they do. And they take up a carload of friends. and Exactly. Maybe a couple carloads of friends. Yeah. And then everybody sees it. And then they have tell two friends. And they tell two friends. And they tell two friends. And they tell two friends. And we end up loving the backcountry to death. And, and we end up loving the backcountry to death. Uh, to get out of our province, look at Joffrey Lakes Park in BC. Yes. They're having the exact same problem. You got, you know, the, the picture postcard mountain snow capped in the lakes and beautiful 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 and people see that in somebody else's instagram they want to be there exactly and it's people that don't regularly go it's, hiking it's typically not their thing they're there simply for the instagram photos yeah um what, there, there's a couple of people that in these couple of articles they were talking so the one guy says it wouldn't you're talking about going to one of the, this joffrey lakes camp or a, a hike, sorry. It says, I wouldn't bother. It would be a gong show going up there. When I was in the parking lot, I saw people going up with umbrellas and flip-flops. It had been raining heavily that day, so that would have been a terrible decision for from a personal safety standpoint. And many say social media is to blame. Yes. You're going up there just to get a picture. You have no, no idea. concept of the difficulty of the trail. Of the gear or, you need, yep. of anything you need. And yeah, it's just... 
And it's causing some of these people on the brighter side, if, if there is a brighter side of this, these people that usually do these routes, it's forcing them to go and check out other routes that they've never checked out before. So on the bright side, they're seeing new stuff. Yeah. Right? So that where there yeah. are no crowds. Exactly. So hopefully they're not going to start taking more pictures taking all there the pictures and, and <laughs> posting them there. There was one picture. There's this log going into the lake with a nice waterfall behind. And there's a, a sign that says, please do not stand on the log. And there's umpteen pictures of people standing, standing on, on that log. log just to get that shot. Yeah. And that's what they're talking about. Yeah. And to close off an area or to fence an area, because you know, at some point, something's going to happen and there's going to be lawsuits galore. Yes. And to stop that kind of stupidity, and it would be their own stupidity. Yeah. I, I yeah. The parks I, are going to have to react and yeah. close areas and fence things off. So instead of this natural view, you're going to have a view of a chain link fence. Yeah. So I don't know how much, I mean, it, it's quite obvious that um, the social media is playing a part in it. It is. Because everybody sees it, right? You hear yeah. more about it now than now that there's all this technology. And if we want to head back across the country on our side, Hamilton, which is just part of the golden horseshoe here yep. for, for Toronto. Um, I myself have a golden horseshoe waterfall book that lists like all the waterfalls yeah. along the, um, uh, oh. <laughs> the escarpment. Sc escarpment. Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking gorge. It's just the opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, along the escarpment, I got the escarpment waterfall book and I myself have, have gone and I've probably taken pictures of 30 different waterfalls at least. Yeah. One of them I've been to is two falls in Hamilton. Okay. Really nice on the escarpment. The it, it's, it's massive. It's high. Really. It's not like wide. Mm -hmm. But it's high. And they yeah. say it's twice the height of the American Falls of Niagara Falls. Oh, yeah? Yeah, twice. I mean, it's big. There's this one outcropping. Oh, yes. I saw the picture. Everybody is going mm -hmm. and sitting on this outcropping with their feet hanging over. It's a typical Wiley Coyote pinnacle yeah. rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're just waiting for that just to yeah. crack straight off. And somebody's going to be sitting there with an yeah. umbrella going. Yeah. Crash. Yeah, crash. <laughs> um... It's become a go-to spot for snapshots and selfies. Yeah. Right? It's known as Dundas Peak. Uh, I've always... I've, I never knew it was actually known as Dundas Peak. I just knew it as Two Falls. Two's Falls. Uh, they say a steady stream of amateur photographers dangling their feet off steep cliffs, hanging over ledges with sheer drops, climbing fences, pushing the boundaries of safety, all to get closer to the edge of the escarpment for that quintessential shot. And... Again, it's social media. People see it. People want that shot. People get in there risking their own safety, risking the safety of anybody who has to come in and rescue them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's again, it's driven by social media. And they're putting themselves at risk yeah. just, to, just to get that photo on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, every couple of weeks they say there's, you can hear a helicopter and sirens because somebody's fallen, somebody's fallen or, yeah. you know, there's a trail that's been shut off down below. People still jump the fences and, yeah, and you know, and at that point, um, when you're starting to jump fences and, and push the boundaries of places that are shut off that you're not yeah. supposed to be going, that's when fines need to start happening. Exactly. I've got no problems with that. Mm -hmm. Throw a fine at that person. And because yeah. now they've had to have people go down and rescue them. Yeah. Just because they want that photo. That shot, that right? photo. If people, it's, it's, you see a lot, you see it a lot. It's social media is driving it and, and more and more people are getting out into the back country and, and are unprepared to taking risks that they shouldn't be taking because they're inexperienced and they, they're out there for, you know, like a quick weekend thing. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I, I want to be able to argue both points. Like, Sure, people should be able to see these backcountry areas. Oh, you know what? But it's, Definitely. It's, I... But to when you start going off trail and you hear a lot of it, it like if for skiing and resorts and stuff, people go into the backcountry or going out of the resort area and they, they could get fined if they have to become rescued and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it's the same thing with these hiking trails. And and uh, if, you're, if you're into the backcountry, if you're doing whatever, it's... 
it, you have to take your own safety into account, but a lot of people, when they're chasing these social media shots, these Instagram shots, they're, they're taking chances that they're taking uneducated risks. And a lot of them are up there for one purpose, to get that photo. They don't care that they're trampling, yeah. you know, the plants and, and the trees yeah. and they'll break something to get it out of the way of their shot and, you know, traveling off the trails. And, and, and that's what it is. That's the exactly. leave no trace yeah. part, Yeah, you know, um, and either they're just going to let it go and just continue with social media and people just keep coming and coming and coming <laughs> or something's going to happen and we're all going to lose it. Yeah. They're we're all going to lose. Right down. Yes. We'll lose access to these areas. Yeah. Um, one of the areas I know that is, uh, oh, it's all that colorful rock, the Chet, Chetlinham, Northeast, Chettingham, uh, North, Chettingham Northwest of, of, uh, Toronto. Yes. And it's all that colored rock and the colored hills. Yeah. All different colors. That's closed now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and because, I mean, it's getting destroyed by people just walking all over the place. Oh, I think I know the... We passed it when we went to uh, the canoe pulling thing. The canoe pulling, yeah. Yeah. They closed the area off because there's too many people in there and ruining it, destroying it. Yep. There's there's a series of pictures you can see over the years where there's this one tree and everything around that tree is just destroyed. Yeah. The tree's still there, (laughs) but everything around it was just, is gone. Yeah. But that's from too much traffic because the more people, I had no clue it existed until I saw it on Facebook. Oh, yeah? And then I saw a bunch of pictures on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I had no clue it existed. <laughs> so, I mean, there's case in point right there. Yeah. I never knew it existed until we, uh, on the canoe polling course, everybody was talking about it and, mm-hmm. uh, and we were passing by and, and some of us wanted to go check it out. But, uh, one of the couple of the guys on the canoe polling says, oh no, it's closed it's now. Closed you can't down. get in there. Yeah. It's yep. been, it's been destroyed. It's, they're just, they're, they're preserving it now and, and stopping the public from going there. But people still get in there, apparently. It's, uh, oh yeah, it's just a you fence. Can't, you can't police it. No, it's a fence. So you just it's get. fence out in the middle yeah. of nowhere. So people have already ruined it and wrecked it and you, you can't stop people from going there because you just can't afford to put security, security guard there nonstop. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So like I say, there's, everybody's got the right to go see, you know, I don't know if got the right should have the privilege to go see everything that they, that's out there. Yeah. You know, but at the same point. You have to do it smartly. You've got to do it smartly and you've got to do it where you're protecting what's there for the yeah. next people. You you want to be able to preserve it for other people to see it too. It's not just for you, it's for everybody type thing. Yeah. And, and that's where you get, if it's overused or and not cared for, and then it, it ruins it for everybody. It closes it down. And that's what I hope doesn't happen. So hopefully... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think there's going to be a winner in this. No. I, I think, I, I, I can't see this. Um, You're going to see areas eighth closed principle off. Coming through. Yeah. Yeah. You, that, you that, see areas closed off. People are still going to go and still going to destroy it. And, uh, and nobody's going to win. The, the areas are going to just get destroyed and, and then nobody can enjoy it at all. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm, I'm seeing it going. Mm-hmm. Like I say, yeah, if you want to talk elitist, then the elitists are going to have it closed. Yeah. To everybody. Exactly. There is no just a few people. There's everybody gets to see it or nobody gets to see mm-hmm. it. And I think that's where it'll end up. Technology is a great thing, but maybe not always. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. Um... 
let's get off uh, a bit of the serious stuff for a minute here. Yes. Or more than a minute. Uh, axes, hatchets, and folding saws. I've given this a lot of thought <laughs> over the years, many years. <laughs> of all the sounds when you're camping, if you're laying there first thing in the morning or in the evening, the sound of an axe hitting wood just brings images to your mind. Yeah. Um, now, echoing through the trees, across the lake, through the campground, wherever you are. It makes you think of campfires, cooking dinner, staying warm, chatting yeah. around a campfire, roasting marshmallows, that sort of stuff. Just from one sound, right? And this yeah, with a with a heavy-duty, nice axe. It's not as iconic as whacking the side of your canoe with your paddle, but... Uh, it's... Or whacking somebody with your paddle saying, stop hitting the side of my canoe with your paddle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when camping in the backcountry... Be it canoe camping, kayak, kayaking, whichever you do. You have the options when it comes to collecting wood. Most will say collect what's what's on the ground already, blow downs, and anything that's already dead, which is, you know, the common practice. Yeah. Because anything green you're trying to break or cut down isn't going to burn anyway. And don't cut down live trees. Yes. We came across one of those a couple of weeks back and, ugh. anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Um, however, if you come across a tree that is laying in the in the bush... It's perfect for campfire size, you know, like the roundness of your arm. Yep. How do you process that wood? Axe, hatchet, or folding saw? And did it make noise when it landed? If nobody, oh, I don't know. If I wasn't there, was there, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I kind of, I do a mix of all. Do you really? Yeah. I started out with a hatchet and got pretty... I mean, it was okay with the hatchet, but it was slow going. And then uh, I was introduced to the folding saw, and I have not they looked back. They are miraculous. Yeah. Some of those folding saws, I've got a, I've got a couple like little uh, jackknife folding handsaw things, mm -hmm. and I've got one of those, a couple of those uh, where it's it all folds inside its handle, and then it pops out into a full on buck saw. Yeah, I've thing. got one of the tube ones yeah. there that you, you so pull those out. So are, those are fantastic and they eat through wood like you wouldn't believe. Well, when this question was asked back in around 2010, 10, 11 and through there, most people were starting to turn away from the full size axe and go towards the smaller hatchets. Especially uh, the Swedish steel. Oh, okay, yep. That's when all those ones started making an appearance, yeah. right? Um, yeah, the, the Swedish steel, the small hatchet, seemed to be quite popular thing to own if you can afford it. Yeah. They, <laughs> and, and they still are yeah. pricey. Yes. Right? But they're but beautiful people uh, would, tools. Yeah, people would have the full-size axe strapped to their pack. Yeah. You know, you see them going down the portage, that big axe handle sticking out the side or yeah, wherever. Yeah, I've seen that a couple times, and it always surprises me because... I'm, I'm, I, I try to be very minimalist mm -hmm. and I just see that as an excessive weight when you could, like my primary hatchet is it's hollow handled plastic handle with it's molded right into the metal head and it's a, it's a super light hatchet, but it, it serves the purpose. It's really, yeah. really tough metal. It's like I've dinged it off rocks and I never, I've never really sharpened the thing. Two and a half, two to two and a half pound heads seem to be. The Typical. going rate. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, but yeah, everybody was, was well, we're not taking a, a full axe. We're not going to take one of these new hatchets from from Sweden. And <laughs> uh, yeah, that was really popular. Over the years, I'm starting to see the hatchet disappear. And now when you ask that question, it tends to be a lot more, oh, I got this folding saw, that folding saw, yeah. this folding saw, da, da, da. The hatchet... Is going away. Is going away as well. Now, there are still the people that do bring the, bring the Swedish both. steel one. I don't even, I I have a hatchet. I don't even know where it is anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it could have been stolen out of yeah. my garage for all I know. Now, I do have the full-size axe for when I'm trailer okay. camping. Yeah. Um, it's never seen the, the light of a portage. I just you know. bought a full-size axe this year, and it's for car camping. I'm yeah. not going to take it to the backcountry, but it's a beautiful axe. It's it's uh, like not one of those... I don't know what it is. I got it at Lee Valley, but it's a nice, beautiful axe. 
You know what? I, I'll sit there at a campground chit-chatting with people and whatnot outside my trailer, and I've got the whetstone, and I'm sharpening that axe. and Everybody's you know, nervous. Everybody's nervous, slowly <laughs> backing away. They remove my alcohol from beside me. I have no idea what's going on. Um, then I put my goldie mask over my face because, you know, I don't want stuff flying in my eyes. <laughs> Precisely. But, you know, then everybody, everybody disappears. Uh, <laughs> on next week's holiday episode. <laughs> uh, but no, you'll be sitting there and you sharp it, really sharp blade. And then when you put that log up there and you give that one mighty swing and that log just flies in two separate yeah. pieces, you're just like, Oh yeah. And the axe goes right straight through the log into the ground into underneath. Into the ground and hits no. a rock and chips it. And, uh, you get mad and you throw it. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? Like if, if you can get a nice sharp blade on that axe and, you know, you just start chopping away, it's great. I watched a YouTube video last night of these older Swedish gentlemen making a log cabin. And they had a series of... Left-handed, right-handed axes for flattening, leveling yep, logs. Yep. So they had hatches and axes and left-handed, right-handed axes. And, like, they had such an edge on these things. They were just, they, no effort at all, these yeah. these axes would just go into the wood. It's like, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to maintain an edge on an axe like that. Oh, using but it that it was, much, yeah. To see it go through the wood so easily. And you see those lumberjack competitions when yep. they're chopping logs. It's like, wow. Yeah. Some, those are some ni- nice well, you pieces You know what? Of I've had guys come by uh, with their ringing their bell, you know, walking with their little stone there, grinding stone and, you know, saying, hey, come out five bucks, I'll sharpen your axes and your knives and all that. Oh, yeah. We had the, when I lived out in Scarborough, there was a guy in the, the van that would drive around and they could never come close with their machines on getting the same type of blade. A sharp, sharp edge yeah. on the blade, as you can with a with by hand. Yes, with your soap, your your not your soapstone, your your whetstone. Yeah, by doing that by hand, slowly. Yeah, you get a so much sharper blade, and just yeah, when you get that sharp blade like that, and you just right through, yeah. fantastic. But anyway, so now the hatchets are seen to be disappearing, in favor of. Folding saws. Folding saws. But then you're limited to, to like, you know, wrist sized pieces of wood. If you, if you find a, a down tree, you're not going to be cutting any large chunks of it off. I go through, uh, about leg size. Yeah. Lower leg, like calf size trees. Well, you have large calves. Leg down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> You've been checking out my legs? <laughs> are you saying I got a fat ass? What do they do? But when you're backcountry building a fire, you're not necessarily looking for massive logs that you're going to be burning forever, right? No. That you're going to need an axe to to chop down. When you're starting your fire, there's enough debris laying around. Twigs. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to be chopping kindling. No. So you don't really, so you can get away without that, that axe. And I've been doing it for years now without... There's enough chaff around a campsite that you just have to, like when I go camping with the kids, it's their, their little project. They I go collect, gather all the twigs and me up a whole bunch yeah. of twigs to get the fire started. Yeah. Type thing, all right? the pine and stuff like that yeah. to get this, get the, me some leaves get it started. And... So yeah, I mean, I've, I've been using that and I've totally gone the way of the saw. Yeah. Now, just as a side note, um, remember the, the wire saws? It's oh, just yeah, a yeah, piece yeah. of wire with the two metal rings on each end. You put it around and you start yeah, I just sawing it back and I forth. I just got one of those and lived the Adventure Gearbox. I used one of those once. Yeah. Once. I used, they, yeah, they, uh, I'm not a fan of them. No. I'm not no. a fan of them at all. Um, you're using it and it jams and then you're, you're just putting too much force on it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're doing it lightly, it jams. If you're giving it more... Yeah. More more tension, exactly. it jams, and then eventually just snaps. It's it's more of an emergency tool. It's not something you want exactly. to use. Exactly. Unless I'm in a survival situation, yeah, I can't ever see me using one of those again. Mm-hmm. But my preference is a folding saw. Yes, yes. It it seems to do everything I need. It cuts through the perfect size logs. It can cut branches off of a log. You know, you cut off the branches and then. You cut the, the log into the sizes you need. 
Yeah. For your fire. Exactly. And for for cooking, for warmth, for sitting around in the evening with chit-chatting and all that, folding saw is the way to go now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but you take both, you say. I still take both. And well, you're wrong. You know, honestly, like I, I hardly <laughs> ever use the axe anymore. Yeah. Well, and that and that's what I found. The, the hatchet, yeah. I wasn't using it. So I just stopped bringing it all together and I don't miss it. And, and like, what was it? Uh, I was, uh, I took the family car camping there, what, a couple of weeks ago. And I tried to use the hatchet and uh, none of the wood would split. Like campground wood is so Oh, wet. you can't, yeah, you can't use a hat. You need the full size yeah. hatchet. You need that extra leverage. That's why the, I bought the big the one. The handle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so get yourself a nice folding saw if you're going backcountry. Yeah. I think it's more than you need. Or go fireless. Or go fireless. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's people that do that. There's people that when definitely, I, definitely do that. When I solo camp, I tend not to light a fire. When it's pouring rain, yeah, I tend not to light a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's pouring rain days yes. on end. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm all good with that. Anyway, let's take another quick break here. We'll uh, come back and we're going to get... Literary. 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 We're going to get some edumacation. If you like the show you are listening to right now, you can listen to it and many more just like it on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24 7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online to see the lineup and schedule. That's Reno Viola Outdoors Radio and enjoy the great outdoors. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. Uh, we are going to get a little bit literary and educational with book club. <laughs> yes, we're, we're starting book club. We, we thought we'd try and start something new, something interesting, considering we're going into the winter season, into the hard water season. So it, it, this is the time of year that, you know, everybody's spent the summer tripping and traveling and finding uh, novels or something to read. And of course, you never have time to read them in the summertime. Yeah. So in the hard water season is when you uh, read your books. So uh, we figure this might be an interesting little segment that we could try and uh, see if it takes off, see if we book find club. interest. Book club. <laughs> it's book club. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Derek, what do you got for book club? Well, you got one book. I do. I Wow. I got six. <laughs> well, if I would known you're going to bring a whole stack of them, I would have brought some more. Well, it's too. my house. It's my library. <laughs> <laughs> so in the spring when we did the Real Paddling Film Fest, one of the uh, one of the films that uh, we showed at our event was uh, it was based on an original story of a uh, of two gentlemen who they did a journey through Labrador. It's called Great Heart. It uh, I didn't know about the book, but uh, Martin Garster he was t- after the video after we showed the video. Martin Garster is saying, "Oh no, it's based off of a book." So it's uh so I went out and I got the book. It's still pristine condition. I haven't read it yet. But, I don't even uh, think the spine's cracked yet. No, it's not. Wow. <laughs> it's in pristine condition. You could probably return it. It's a beauty. Yeah. I could. I could. I really could. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh this is my contribution to book club, Sean and Derek's book club. Book club. Book club. <laughs> <laughs> so this here, it's an interesting story. It's uh. So these two gentlemen, best friends, Leonidas Hubbard and Dylan Wallace and a Métis guide named George Elson, they uh, they wanted to explore the uncharted interior of Labrador by canoe. So they went and they do this trip, and but then they, bad luck, poor judgment, they, they were carrying a cast iron stove. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> but anyways, so they... they they came upon issues. They uh, ran out of food, and uh, Dylan, no, uh, Leonidas Hubbard, he died of starvation before they get back to their base camp. Uh, so 
this here book is it describes the initial trip and then two years later Wallace wants to redo the trip and Leonidas's widow Mina she wants to she's she blames uh Dylan Wallace for her husband's death and so she wants to, she gets a hold of the Métis guide and she wants to do this trip as well so it's like this epic race epic competition between the avenging widow and her husband's best friend type thing so it's it's uh it looks like it's going to be an interesting novelty when we saw the real paddling film fest they they traced the uh the basic route the basic trip and they had some issues too as i recall yeah, and yeah. so well and one guy ended up twisting his ankle or something and yeah, yeah they had to turn back they had to turn back and uh so it's that that's that's the one that i'm going to start reading this is my well, hopefully you'll have it done before the end of winter Oh, there's not very many pictures in that. I know, I know. It's it's a lot of words. It's not, not a graphic pictures. novel. I know. <laughs> <laughs> AKA comic book. I do have some graphic novels to read this winter too. Well, there you go. Well, we'll have to f- do book club again. Yes. <laughs> and you'll have to let us know how the book. Absolutely. Yes. It's it's going to be interesting. And uh, Martin was telling me that it's a really good book. He's he's already read it and and he said it's it's a well, fantastic read. We will just get read. Uh, Mark uh, Martin. We to should come get in Martin on to do book club. Do with book us. club. Do book love. Book love. Okay, well, <laughs> The Great Heart, The... History of a Labrador Adventure. And who wrote it? James West Davison and John Rouge. Rouge. Rouge? Alrighty, check it out and let us know what uh, what happens. Well, I have six books here I'm just going to go over quickly because they're from my collection. I've read them already. Uh, what got me really hooked into Algonquin Park was A Paddler's Guide to Algonquin Park by our friend Kevin Callan. Friend of the show, Kevin Callan. Um, lots of routes and stuff in there, so I'd go through, and I've, I think I've done every single route in this book. Uh, after I read that one, I checked out his Ontario's Lost Canoe Routes book. And this is a good one. I've not done all of these, uh, but it's a good one to look through and get an idea of the territory, um, different territories throughout Ontario. Um, and gives you inspiration to to paddle For different that spots. Next epic trip. Yeah. So there's still some ones in here I'm going to have to have to do. Being in Algonquin so much, you know, sitting in the trailer when we were doing the car camping with the kids when they were small, or or t- just to take a book into the backcountry to read on rainy days or windbound days. One I picked up was called Joe Lavalie and the Pale Face in Algonquin Park. Which nowadays, this was 1948 it was written. Yeah. Not too politically correct anymore. But it's basically uh, this Bernard Wicksteed uh, writes a book about his guided trip by this native guide through Algonquin Park, a fishing trip. Yeah. And it tells all about, it's it's actually quite the good read. Um, But yeah, if you're sitting there and you're looking for something to, to read, check this out. It's a nice book. It tells all the stuff. It gives a little insight into this Joe Lavalie character and, uh, um, what Bernard thinks of him at the beginning of the trip and then how they become <laughs> friends by the end of the trip. And yeah. he fully starts to understand who the, this guide, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's a, it's a nice read. Sounds interesting. Um, and the next one book, what's that? One, two, three, number four, canoe craft. I have the same one. An illustrated guide to fine wood strip construction by Ted Moore's. It's got pictures, <laughs> <laughs> lots of pictures and drawings and measurements on how to build your own cedar strip canoe. Lots of pictures. Um, if you, I've, I've got drawings in here myself that I've done. I've written through this thing and, you know, uh, so basically you can take this book. This and is, this is the typical guide for anybody who wants to build a cedar strip canoe. Yeah. Um, it's, it was a good read as well, so check that one out canoe craft ted moore's revised and expanded <laughs> look at all this look at all the sticky notes i eh? see the sticky notes sticky notes everywhere this next one i got as a christmas christmas present or birthday present i think it was a christmas present bark canoes the art and obsession of tappan adney the inside cover says Edwin Tappan Adney single-handedly preserved the fading history of native bark canoe construction in North America by building 110 historically accurate canoe models, many based on canoes that were the last remaining example of their type. Adney calculated that his canoe models consumed over 20,000 hours of detailed drawing, research, and buildings. Wow. This is, like, huge. I mean, it's all pictures of models and descriptions... And there's some, you know, um, 
how an Indian birch bark canoe is made. He's got all these pictures of different types. Ojibwe three and a half fathom birch bark fur trade canoe. Uh, three and a half fathom birch bark fur trade canoe tete de boule. Tanana River birch bark canoe. Upper Yukon birch bark canoe. 110 of them in here. All pictures. It's incredible. And he's, he's done all these by hand. And there's a little bit about him. This is, it's a hard copy book, but it was really, really uh, impressed that I got this. The last one is probably my favorite book called The Incomplete Anglers. Uh, John Robbins, an English professor at the University of Toronto, loved Algonquin Park, loved fish. The idea for writing this humorous semi-fictional story of park fishing trip developed while his brother and him were stranded on an island on Dixon Lake for three days. They began to recall other fishing trips they had taken in previous years and to recount the amusing uh, and tragic experiences. Book originally published in 1943, largely forgotten now. It was a runaway bestseller, won uh, awards because it was being read during the war, World yeah, War II. The war, so so they'd send it out to family. It would take huh. their minds off off the war. Yeah, awesome book, The Incomplete Anglers. I've probably read it like seven times. I'm interested. I got to check that one out. I got to get my hands on that one. Definitely check that bad boy out. Um, and that's book club. Yes. And that's our show. <laughs> we'll do book club again one day when you finish reading that book, book club, and I've got new books. Book club. Book club. Excellent book club. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Paddling Adventures Radio, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page on our paddlingadventuresradio.com page. If you're downloading us off of iTunes, please leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.